Welcome back to the Ravelin Ford Academy podcast. In today's episode, we have David Parker, CEO of Polymath Consulting. David has an in-depth knowledge of the payments and e-commerce industry. He regularly consults and advises businesses all the way from emerging fintechs to larger corporate companies, covering areas such as the emerging markets and the growth of digital payments. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. So to start, could you give me a bit of an overview of your business background? Um, I'm probably best known as CEO and founder of Polymath Consulting, which is a cars and payments company uh, providing consultancy support across Europe, Africa and the Middle East around um, e-money and emerging payments. But I'm also heavily involved these days in the fintech space. Um, having, um, I'm both an advisor and sometimes invest in companies like um, Itemize, StyloPay, um, Journalink, Curve, etc. And then my latest venture set up with two colleagues called Consentus, which provides um, PSD2 open banking consent and preference management services for the FIs, enabling them to be um, compliant. And what made you start Consentus? Is it PSD2? Everyone's talking about it these days. It's very much built around the need there is for companies to provide um, accurate and timely consent and preference management services for um, their their consumers, the end users, um, and integrating to multiple regulatory databases and we do all that work for them basically. So um, it's a new business that's created out of the PSD2 open banking regulations and requirements. So you're happy that PSD2 exists? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so, PSD2 is going to give us lots of opportunities in the market. So you chaired the MPE conference in Berlin, what were your biggest takeaways? Um, I suppose the biggest one I suppose is relevant to, to you guys and also other companies involved in is, is the changing face of fraud management. It's certainly very much changing from um, rule-based systems. I think what's interesting about that is that there is certainly still a time lag on the client side in recognizing both the sophistication of modern fraudsters and the sophistication of modern fraud management techniques. So you could say there's almost a gap between where the industry capabilities are to prevent versus where the industry understanding of what is available or they need is out there. So there is certainly a gap in that respect um, in the marketplace. Interesting. And was there a lot of talk about AI and machine learning in in terms of fraud detection? There was quite a lot of talk, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of talk about AI and machine learning almost in every conference in every area. Um, It's a bit like saying if you put the, you can either put the words AI or, or the word blockchain into an investment proposal and you've instantly doubled the value of the company. So, um, you know, basically everyone either has the word AI or blockchain in their investment, in their business plan, because it seems to double the, you know, just increase values of the company and what they're going to do. Whether they actually need it is another story. And in terms of kind of speaking about AI and machine learning, how do you think it's developed over the last few years? I think we're starting to see increasing sophistication around the um, use, but also in bluntly, it's the computing power that you can bring to bear on it. Don't forget, Moore's law is still very much holding true. 
Um, and therefore, you know, what would have been a challenge even three, four, five years ago to a huge degree these days is no longer an issue. Uh, and, you know, we've got to understand payments are about real-time transactions. I always joke, it takes 10 minutes to approve a Bitcoin transaction. You know, that's plenty of time to you know, run any sort of fraud checks you want on it. Whereas in reality, if you're dealing with a scheme payment, it's being done in, you know, sub-seconds, you know, it's nanoseconds. So, you know, things these days have got to be very, very fast. I think what's going to be more interesting, and we've already seen a number of regulators start to be very concerned about this, and, 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 the, and the latest things coming out is on push payments and the managing of fraud around push payments in this whole area. So the pull payment side these days, people are understanding how you can recognise fraudsters on push payments. There's still a big issue out there. Can you explain push payments to maybe those who don't know? Push payments are where you go in and you send money to someone. Now, that's going to be very obvious there that you would only ever send money to someone that you are happy to send it to. Great. But what happens if the person requesting the money and the person you're pushing to isn't the same person you think? I'll give you an example. An estate agent and you're moving house. So the estate agent says, I'll send you an email with the account details on so you can send me the money for the house. Nothing wrong with that email. Five minutes later, you get the email in with the bank details on. Unfortunately, what's happened is the fraudsters have intercepted that email, swapped out the bank details, put new bank details in there. You've then pushed money to a bank account that was was not belonging to the solicitor and therefore your money has now totally disappeared. The solicitor saying he hasn't got it. The bank is saying you sent the money, you typed in the bank, you typed in those bank details, not us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, why should we pay you back? You've just lost all your money. And who's responsible in that case? You are. You sent the money. You pushed the money to them. (laughs) You can't get that back in any shape or form. No, it's caused a lot of people a lot of problems. That's interesting. Uh, That is a uh, a severe example of it, but push payment fraud is becoming a big issue. And how would we kind of, I guess as an industry, kind of raise awareness around push payments to not... Well, the regulators are starting to do that. There's, they're starting now to introduce the uh, new code of conduct is coming out from uh, the British Bankers Association, I believe it is, or one of the groups I remember reading about in terms of how banks have got to basically have taken reasonable efforts to ensure that the funds are going to the relevant bank accounts and everything else. So bank, a lot of pressure is being put on banks to um, get to do more in this space, certainly. Mm. What about retailers? How do you think they should stay secure in, in a digital environment where, you know, fraudsters are kind of intercepting at every, every angle? Well, this is an interesting question because you see people sitting here listening to this are probably going to be UK based generally, but the UK is very different from other European markets. So, so what you've got to understand, if you went to somewhere like Holland, where Ideal is, Ideal is the main form of payment over there. Ideal is push payments. Mm-hmm. In the UK, yes, we use debit and credit cards, um, but that's just because of the way the UK is. So if we're focusing on, let's say, UK retailers, what measures do you think they should take to... Well, most UK retailers online these days don't don't take care of their own risk and fraud to a large degree. They will use a PSP gateway service provider who will provide that functionality and capability rather than um, doing it themselves. So when you say, how do they react? I think the key thing for a retailer 
is to understand and to compare solutions out in the market by doing proof of concepts with them because ultimately as, as, as a great person once said, I can reduce fraud to zero. It's very easy to reduce fraud to zero. All you've got to do is turn down every transaction. Yeah. So, if your fraud is zero, actually, that's the wrong answer. Yeah. The real answer is how do you manage fraud and how do you manage chargebacks, not how you eliminate them. And there there's a need to understand and even amongst ai machine learning companies different companies have different ways of approaching things different data sources so the only real way of doing it is actually to compare them in proof of concepts really you've got to actually give them real data so that you actually test them mm. absolutely and just talking a little bit about fraud do you think there's a negative stigma about talking about fraud from what you've kind of seen or heard I don't think it's a negative stigma, it's more of t uh, fatigue. Um, you know, negative stigma, not everyone knows it's out there. As I said, there are, there are too many people who stood up in the past saying, well, we can eliminate fraud. Well, guess what? Of course you can eliminate fraud, you just turn down all transactions, you know. Um, and the problem we've got a challenge here with PSD2 coming in is that PSD2 is all about putting, to some extent, friction back into the payment process. And yet, you know, your Uber ride, when you get out of the car and you don't even know you've paid, is everyone held up as the perfect example of frictionless process. But there are going to be significant challenges to creating frictionless checkouts when you have secure customer authentications required for non-whitelisted companies. And even the first time you've got a whitelist and you've got to go through SCA. So this is going to cause significant friction to merchants, which is going to lead to significant basket drop-off. Mm. I've got one final question for you. So what kind of advice would you give to either a fintech or someone looking to start their own business or just any emerging tech companies kind of looking to break through in the industry? The first thing I always say to people is go and talk to a lot of people. Um, don't worry about NDAs. They're not worth the paper they're written on. Um, go and talk to a lot of people. And, and the first thing is to understand is how different, unique is your idea and concept? Because the reality is that you, you need to have a point of differentiation. And just by saying, well, we're going to be cheaper, do you know what? That's a, a race to the bottom. So make sure you understood clearly what your proposition is, how you're going to communicate it, and who you're communicating it to. And don't forget, you need an elevator pitch. If you can't describe your business and what makes it unique in about two or three minutes, then you need a lot more work to work it through. So get the proposition right, get the positioning right. Um, and that's me talking as an ex 25 year ad man, not as a fintech mentor. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you.